Good morning, church. Thank you for being with us this morning as we worship God through song and through studying his word. This morning, we're going to start off with a song that's not necessarily new, but maybe new to you. Uh, it's written by the Gettys, so it should be pretty easy to pick up. But if you stand with me, if you are able, we'll worship God through this song. Don't feel like you have to sing really loudly until you get the hang of it. But whatever you do, just open your heart up to worship God. Allow him to speak to you through this song as, uh, as we continue to praise God together through the many opportunities that he gives us. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. I am safe from the solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun the lord is my salvation who is like the lord our god strong to save faithful in love my debt is paid and the victory won is my salvation my hope is hidden in the Lord he flowers each promise of his word when winter fades I know spring will come the Lord is my salvation in times of waiting, times in need. When I know lost, when I am weak, I know His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. But who is like the God, strong to save faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. And when I reach the final day, he will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise. He will call me home. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to 
Backup singers, you're 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 the backup singers there. Okay, so so thank you for doing that. And did you, you notice anything new on stage? Yeah, yeah. Adam's a hundred. No, I'm not a hundred either, by the way. So, but our church is celebrating a hundred. Okay, our church is celebrating a hundred years. And and so Mark Gwillem, when you see him, thank you, thank him for that. And I'll talk a little bit about this. You can take pictures with it some point down there, but, but we're celebrating 100 in, the two, in two weeks, and so we're going to have special guests in. We'll go a little longer. It's not me preaching longer. We have other people speaking, and then we'll have dinner afterwards. It's catered in so our people can be in here, and we need you to sign up, so just let you know that. If you're online watching, I, you know, if you want to make it in that Sunday and join us for that meal, that would be great, um, so, so just want to do that. As we sing this song, about my debt is paid. It is, it is Jesus who's paid that debt. You know, sometimes we don't know who paid our debt. You know, the, the person in front of us bought our coffee or whatever it was and in the, the line at McDonald's or Starbucks, wherever you guys go. Sometimes we don't know who it is. But when we sing about my debt being paid, it was for more than coffee. It was for eternal life. And Jesus is the one who paid that debt. I, I could not stand, you could not stand before the throne of God if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus Christ paid that debt for us. And so with that in mind, we want to go to the Lord in prayer. We want to thank Him for that, acknowledge the power that He had to free us from the wages of sin and put us in a new place. And, and God not only cares about your eternal soul, but he cares about your everyday life. And so each one of you has something on your heart, something on your mind that, that, that has maybe caused you to lose a little bit of sleep last night. 
okay, because you were thinking about that. You're wondering, what am I going to do about that later today or this week? How am I going to deal with that? I want you to bring it with everybody else, and let's lay that at God's feet. You know, I, I, my dog, someplace at the house, it's let go, let God. Boy, does that sound simple and look so cute. But I'm telling you right now, um, it's like the first time I went um, water skiing. When, it, when, when you fall into the water, you're supposed to let go of the rope. And it's not, it's not pretty, okay? Because it just drags you through the water. Every one of us have things that we are supposed to have let, and get, let go of, and we haven't yet. And so I want to invite you to that opportunity to let go, quit being drugged through the water, and allow God to take care of those things. So let's go, Lord, and pray. Father, thank You for this day. Father, thank You, for, thank you that You paid the debt for us, Lord. Father, that, that I know that beyond this life, whether the, the trumpet sounds or I go home to meet you, that, that I, I stand in your presence. I stand in the presence of the throne, the Almighty God, not because of what I've done, but because Jesus on the cross, thank you, paid my debt. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today or someone online watching, Father, they don't understand what it means that you paid the debt. Father, I pray that it would be abundantly clear this day, Father, that you would speak to their heart. Father, take them from their losses and bring them to a place of redemption. Father, I pray that, Lord, as, as I think about the things that, that keep me awake at night, Father, every one of us here has those things that, that concern us, that burden us, Father, might be about our job, might be about this or that, or our family, or our friends, or some other thing that we're involved in. Father, just pray that we'd let go, and Father, just stand and watch you at work. Father, I pray for those in our hearts. Father, we talked about those that, that do not know you. Father, I pray that each one of us is praying for someone that doesn't know you. Father, I pray that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sing with me if you're able as we continue to sing of God's power. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your 
lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. You've been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again. For your promise is yes and amen. You will do great things. Oh God, you do great things. Oh hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. You have done great things. God, you do great things. Whoa, Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me cleansing flood I heard an old old story how a savior came from glory how he gave his life on Calvary 
to save a wretch like me. I heard about his broad need of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the
All right, we're in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And, and I will say this, as we walk into this, and we, we're going to read the first 11 verses out of 2 Corinthians 10. And so if you've got your Bibles turned there, it's going to be on the screen. If you've got the Bible app, all the scriptures there. So what we want to do is walk through that. I will say this, that you're going to note a, a, a tone change, okay, in, in what Paul's dealing with. His tone is going to kind of escalate. It's, it's as if he's a little bit aggravated, okay? Uh, and so we're going to see that happen in there. So here's a, y'all looking at me like I've I'm, I'm carried this up here. I've come to work. So anyway, in, in our janitor's closet there by the water fountain is this thing. It's been there since I've gotten there. I can tell it's not been there forever. Otherwise, this wouldn't be plastic. It would be wood. But I'm going to tell you that some of the things have been in here before this was plastic, all right? So, so this is, this is got, I got a hammer here. I got, I got another hammer over here, a roll of tape. I got staples for a staple gun that doesn't exist. Got a screwdriver. Um, there's a crescent wrench in here because everybody needs a crescent wrench because that's good for a lot of things. But the coolest thing in here, the most useful of all the tools, is the butter knife, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, you, you all laugh, and you, you, guys, you get one home, too. This butter knife, it serves as a screwdriver. I'm thinking this one serves as a pry bar somewhere along the line. And it serves as a hammer, too, because you can use the heavy end, and you can put nails in, right? How many of you have used a, a butter knife or something like that? Yeah, hands are going all up over the place. Even the guys are raising their hands, all right? So so much you to know that. You've got to have the right tools. If you're going to deal with a problem, you've got to have the right tools. Too often, we bring a butter knife to some place where we need something else. Yesterday, I'm out working. Uh, if you've been around my wife, you know there's a pool saga. If you've got 25 minutes uh, to hear a dramatic presentation, my wife will tell you about our pool. So anyway, I'm out working on the pool, and I'm taking some screws out, and some of the screws won't come out with the tool that I brought to the, to the fight. So I had to go get different tools. Matter of fact, I had to go through a couple different ideas before I finally landed on the right spot, but I got the right tool. And I was able to remove all the screws that I wanted, so that's, I'm to that step. She's a, she'll tell you the re, where we need to go. But anyway, it's, it's having the right tools. Paul has an issue. Paul has an issue. And Paul is that guy who has all kinds of tools to deal with problems. You have all kinds of tools to deal with problems. But oftentimes we have sitting there the tool that we need to use, and we won't bring it. We're going to keep fighting with what we have while it's available to us to deal with the issue. You know, so I want you to think about that. The, the problem that he's dealing with is, is I'm just going to say it, false prophets is what he's dealing with. He's dealing with these teachers, and we're going to discuss that in a little bit more depth. But you're going to read that as we read through this 10th chapter, the first 11 verses. You're going to see that he's dealing with that. You can deal with problems with people in a lot of different ways. You've done it. You're in the process of doing it. And it's not working so well. And so I want you to think about what Paul says here and see that again, 
this isn't a story about an old problem that's already done taken care of because they all died. This is a story that represents what you and I have to deal with, the importance of what we have to deal with, and the urgency with which we have to deal with it, and then what we need to know to take care of the problem. What we need, the tool that we need to grab hold of so that we can solve the issues that we face. That's what we want to walk away is this isn't an old story that doesn't have any application and, and you're prepared for a trivia night. This is a story that, that makes a difference when you stand up to sing the invitation. Because it may be that you need to take care of something here. It may be that you need to take something on the way home. But this will give you the tool that you'll need to do that. So let's pick it up here in the first verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as though as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for the building you up, and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absence, such persons we are also indeed when present. Paul is a little agitated. Okay? Paul is a little, you know, Paul is a little upset, but let's talk about the opposition. I titled this the opposition. When we read through there, who is it that's standing against Paul? What is it that he's trying to address? And we're going to deal with that. So there's the opposition. What we read is, is the thoughts, that, the, their thoughts on Paul. Have you ever stood in a conversation and, and have somebody tell you about somebody else? You know, somebody come up, you know, I heard this about Adam. He ate an ice cream cone. That's not on his diet. You know, I mean, okay, so you hear things, right? What do they think about you? You know, somebody comes back and says, this is what I think about you. So Paul has gotten word, remember from the messengers, Titus, they've come and they've gone, and word gets back, this is what they're saying about you. They say, Go ahead and raise your hand if this is what you want to refer to. Two-faced and meek. 
Nobody wants to be called two-faced, right? That's exactly what they said about Paul. He's one way when he's here. He's one way he's absent. He's meek. He's, he's bold. You know, this whole kind of uh, dichotomy that they got going on here. They look at Paul, and, and this is what they say about him. This is what they say about him, and they're not impressed by it. They say, you know, sometimes you hear people talking about somebody else, and they say it in a way that's meant to be flattering. And other times they say that disdainfully. In other words, they, they're, they're, they're cutting at them, right? When the political campaigns come around this fall, when you hear about them talking about the other candidates, how do they speak? They speak to cut down. These people, whoever they are, we don't have names. That's, that's the beauty. When you walk through this, it's not about Mike and George. It's about these people who stand in opposition to Paul. And we're going to find out that we, even though Mike and George are gone, or whoever these are that, that Paul's referencing, he may not even know their names. I'm going to guess he knows some of them. We're going to find out that what he deals with there is the same thing that we deal with. It's our Mike and George. Whatever, whoever they might be. That, that, it, it, did you catch that? They say that Paul walks according to the flesh. Ouch! I mean, to Paul, that's kind of fighting words, isn't it? I mean, really, he's, he's doing everything to follow God, to serve God. He knows what it means to walk according to the flesh. He persecuted the church. And now he's all in. He's so all in, he suffered beatings for the message of Jesus Christ. And you want to say that he's walking according to the flesh? He's the one penning the letters, sending out to the churches, guiding them to a closer relationship with Jesus? And, and you want to say he's walking according to the flesh? I mean, because you really don't want, I'm going I'm to say, do you want me, do you want a pastor who walks according to the flesh? Do you want a worldly pastor? You know, that's not what we want. I'm trying not to do that, all right? So you understand that. And, and they knew that. So if they wanted to take Paul out and bring question, all they had to do was say, he walks according to the flesh. And then they might reference some examples, but the idea is that they want to label him as a guy who's not godly, but he's living in the flesh. And that's how they do that. They elevate themselves because we don't hang out at the same place that Paul hangs out. You know, he's been in jail, and it wasn't jail ministry, right? He actually was in bonds. And so they could say those kind of things. And if you don't know the story, I didn't know Paul was in jail. I don't know, but it must have been bad because they, they had him in shackles and everything. They don't, want, they don't tell the rest of the story how they were singing and God opened the doors up. They won't tell that part of the story because it doesn't serve them. What they want to do is tell the part of the story that brings Paul down so they can elevate themselves. That's what's going on there. They were rebelling against Paul and his message because they wanted the place that Paul had. They wanted that place of leadership. They wanted to sit behind the steering wheel, so to speak. So they could drive this boat called the Church of God at Corinth. Paul is invested in the Church of God at Corinth. He's invested in these people. He's not ready to, to let somebody else take, the, take the, the steering wheel and take them where they don't need to be. Take them back. Ruin their witness. 
Because that's what Paul is concerned about. You see why Paul's ire's been raised? You see why, why Paul's ire's been raised? I want to ask this question, though. Because any time anytime somebody says something about you that you don't like, we take offense to it. Really, really, we do. So, if you were to tell me my motorcycle looked like a tricycle, okay, I'm just telling you, we'd have words, right? So, I want to ask this question. I want you to think about this because I want you to see the answer to it. Is it more than personal? Is it more than personal? When Paul writes this about this group of what we'll call false prophets, he doesn't address them that way in that passage. Is it, you know, he, they've spoken things about Paul that, that Paul doesn't like. You look funny. You know, it's the, the, the football thing. Your mama wears funny dresses, okay? And, and they, they've tried to irritate Paul. And so when Paul comes back in their face, is it personal or is it more than personal? Let's think about that. Because what I don't want, because we can be that way, right? We can pretend to be righteous, but we're really personal. We're gonna, you got in my grill, I'm gonna get in your grill. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna go, we're gonna go toe-to-toe here. Because of what you said. I don't like what you said. We're, I'm, we're, I'm, I might take issue with that. Let's talk about the issues, though. What was it that Paul saw in these people and in their teachings that was more than just a personal attack on him? Because if he's responding just to a personal attack, to attack them back, we've got nothing. But if he's responding to this personal attack that goes much deeper and cuts at the mission of the church of God at Corinth, the mission of Paul, the mission of the gospel, then Paul has every right to confront them. He has every right to be strong with his words. Because this is the deal. We, we've used this illustration, and, and it's, it's an old illustration. I don't know that it actually exists, but the, the old bridge is out front. You, you know that a, that a half a mile down the road, the bridge is out. And, and, if, and there's nothing there to stop. They can just keep driving because there's no roadblocks. There's no barriers there. The bridge washed out. Boom, they could fall in there. You know that, and you're, you're standing by the side of the road, and it's your job to make sure that nobody goes into the water. Hey, bridge is out. Don't you speak a little stronger? Because of the danger that's there. And Paul just doesn't say, hey, the bridge is out. Bridge is out, right? He's there. Boom. He wants you to know that, you, you know, something needs to change here. There are issues here. And so when he talks about their beginning, I think it's in the fifth verse, the idea of the speculations. The idea of speculations. Do you ever get caught up in speculations? Paul refers to that not pleasantly in other places. The idea that we just, we ponder and we wonder about things that really don't matter. How wide are the streets of gold? Well, biblically, they should be in, in, in increments of 7, right? So they're either 7, 14, 21, 28. How wide? You know, but the narrow is the road, so it can't be very wide. And so I can spend a lot of time talking about the, how thick are the streets of gold? 
You know, I can begin to talk about all those kind of things that, and speculate. How many golf courses will be in heaven? Will they be Zepco reels or something else? And, you know, we can begin to think about all those things that are nonsense. And we can chase down those things. And then we can have a church built around seven-foot-wide golden streets, but not about anything else. We chase that down. So Paul's addressing the speculations that lead to emptiness. It's a road that doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't build up. It doesn't proclaim the gospel. It doesn't make the body of the church of God at Corinth any stronger, any more mission-minded. It just gives them something to do. It gives them something to talk about. And it doesn't lead anywhere. Every lofty thing, now he's talking about lofty things that are opposed to Christ. That, that, you know, they've puffed it up. They've elevated it. And when you get down to it, it opposes the gospel message. The idea of works. You know, you do these good things and you're getting out. Eventually, we escalate works to a place that replaces faith. And that's every lofty thing that puts itself up against Christ. We've got to push back against that. You see the urgency why Paul's dealing with every lofty thing opposed to Christ. Thoughts not obedient to Christ. Thoughts not obedient to Christ. What they're teaching is something that gives them a pass on some old sinful way that they want to cling to. You, you, you break it down, you know, that's not really sin anymore. Or that's, that's not sin. So we want to have thoughts that are not obedient to Christ. Ways that are not obedient to Christ. Disobedient. And you begin to elevate that. And pretty soon you don't have a gospel that saves anymore. You have a gospel that comforts you. That allows you to stay exactly where you're at. What we want to do is move. We, we want to go through the ticket stand. Where we can hand the ticket because it's already been paid. We don't want to stand on the other side saying we don't need anything to pay for our ticket because everything's good. And that's what's going on here. They're, they're in that gospel where they're taking the gospel out. You see why Paul's angry about this? You see why Paul wants to address that? And you see why in our world today, when we see things like this, it ought to get our ire up too. And what we need to address is so that we correct it, so they can find Jesus. I, I, here's what we do too often, though. Too often we try to cut them. Oh, you don't, don't need to do that. Well, tell them what they do need to do. Tell them about Jesus. Let them find Jesus. They'll lose the other stuff. That's the idea of that. I listened to a song today on the way in, and, and it's the idea, a ruins to the left of me, my, my future in front of me, that, that walk with Christ, that newness that I want to walk in. I want to lay waste to everything else. And what we've got to do is show them what's out there not just turn them from their sin, but we've got to turn them to Jesus. They've got to embrace Jesus. They've got to have something else. So that's what we need to be about, that idea. And so that's why Paul's got his ire, and that's what he's dealing with. Now, how do you deal with this? 
How do you deal with it? Paul is a knowledgeable guy. He wrote stuff in Romans we're still trying to figure out. We're still trying, we're still trying to make heads and tails out of something we're at here. Paul's an intelligent guy. Paul has that power of persuasion. We, when he was persecuting the church, he got somebody to give him letters so he could go do that. Paul has that kind of, Paul has a strong personality. Paul wasn't by himself. That meant he was able to assemble leaders to go with him. Even now, as he's going out and preaching the gospel, he's got people with him. So he has, he has what it takes to lead. He has what it takes to speak to people. How does Paul deal with that? What does Paul say that he has? Talk about the divinely powerful. I want you to forget that. You know, when we talk about tools, you've got tools that are hand tools. It means you've got to put the muscle behind it. And then we've got these things now that got a battery on them or a cord on them, and where they go a lot faster. We're impressed by those tools, those power tools. I want you to know the divinely powerful is steps beyond that. Think about that. I do not war, and this is the thing, I do not a war, I, though I walk in the flesh, I do not war according to the flesh. I want you to think about that. Because, let's be honest, when you have an issue with somebody else, how do you first respond? You pray first, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing you praying first. You see what I'm saying? Paul says, "Divine, I, I do not war according to flesh. In other words, I'm not dealing with it on my own. I'm dealing with it by the power of God. Which means Paul's praying. Paul is addressing God and seeking God out in this issue that he has to deal with. I do not war according to the flesh, not by our power or by our knowledge. Paul has it. But Paul doesn't bring his PhD and lay it down on the table. He's asking God to show up and do something about it. He wants to see God at work, so you got this problem. And he's bringing, Paul, he's bringing God to the table. We stand at the side of the Red Sea with our little, our little sand buckets, and we try to make it dry, right? That's, that's what we're doing. When all we got to do is say, God, part the waters. We walk across on dry land. We just want to get it a little shallower so we can wade it through. God has a power that we can overcome our enemy that stands against us, but more importantly, stands against Christ. I don't care that they stand against me. What I really care about is they stand against Christ because when they stand against Christ, they don't get it and they're not going to see Jesus either. I want them to see Jesus. I want Jesus to transform even those people that irritate me. Even those people that stand as an obstacle to the gospel. I want to see there. Somebody prayed for Paul. He was an obstacle to the gospel. And if it was your obstacle to the gospel, you just prayed die. Or go away. Somebody prayed, and guess what? Christianity has a lot to do with that somebody that prayed about Paul. And Paul changed his ways. God grabbed him. And Paul is concerned about the church of God at Corinth. You know, 
the tool that Paul used is not outdated. It has not lost its power. It's available to you, to you, and to me. Why is it when it's sitting there waiting for us to use, we'll take, God, I'll I'll call you if I need you. That's not faith. Think about it. Paul writes this letter, and he's dealing with false prophets who are at Corinth. He is, a, he is more than a day's journey away. Have you ever had one of those things where I'll take care of it when I get there because I can't do anything about it from here? I can't fix it over the phone. Do you realize, Paul didn't have phones. Do you realize that Paul, Paul couldn't FaceTime and walk him through it? But the problem could be taken care of even if Paul was not present because the divinely powerful weapons that we use are not limited by our presence. There are times when you're praying for people that you're not there. Guess what? When you can't fix it because you're not there, you don't. You you uniquely what God wants you to understand in the first place. You don't need to fix it. Pray, because I am there already. I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere. That's the power that God has to be able to do that. When we walk out of here, what are we going to use? Here's your action steps for this week. You know, I really want you to think about this. Because we live in a world that taints what we think. We, we, get, we get told Coke is better than Pepsi, Pepsi is better than Coke, right? We have an opinion on that because of what we've been told. So we get told a lot of things. And some of those things, some of those speculations, some of those lofty thoughts, whatever it is, those teachings, actually stand in disobedience to the Scriptures. It's a gut check, it's a self-check to say, what, what have I bought into that's not in line with the Scripture? It's what I, it's what, Paul's, distance yourself before I get there from that. We need to distance ourselves from those thoughts, those teachings, those things that have crept into our life and taken us away from where we need to be. The second thing that I ask is, do I bat? This is a question. Because every one of you are dealing with something, some issue. Do I, deal, do I battle according to the flesh? Your default is that way. You just don't, you don't wake up, hey, I'm saved, I'm going to start battling by the Spirit. It doesn't happen because the enemy wants you to do what? He, oh, I'm saved. He's all fine. You know, he's not happy about that, but here's what he wants you to do. He doesn't want you to see change in your life. He doesn't want you, he doesn't want you to give things over to God. He wants to convince you that you need to handle things just the way you did before you were saved, without Christ. 
He wants you to live and walk in your life according to the flesh without the Spirit doing anything. So that's the question. Do I battle according to the flesh? And here, here because when you answer that question in the affirmative, it's how do I change that because I can't settle for that. Too often we settle for just doing things our way and dealing with things, and we get the results that are subpar because God's not at work in there because we've not invited him into that work. And what we want to do is how do I change that? How do I change that? How do I come to a point where I pray before I battle? How do I come to that point where I put my trust and ask God, what do I need to do? I don't want to roar in there with all of my strength and might and knowledge. I want you to go before me. Change things so my next prayer can be a prayer of thanks. We're going to give the invitation. Adam's going to come up here. We're going to play. We're going to, we're going to pray in just a moment. Here's the invitation. I want you to think about what we just read here. Because we live in a world that's, there's a lot of things in opposition to Christ. And, and it seems like we're losing that battle. It may be that we're losing that battle because we're not battling the right way. It may be on us. We have the right tools and we keep pulling out the butter knife when we need to pull out the right tools. And that's Christ working in us, through us, the Holy Spirit, in our world. So I want to invite you, maybe you can do that where you're at. You can come down here and pray. You can grab somebody else and pray. Because it's better to have two people praying than one. But to pray that you would learn how to do battle differently. That you would this week make a cognitive effort to pray first rather than to speak first even if it's a silent, short prayer, that you would make that effort to make that prayer before you jump in to the battlefield. I invite you to do that. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today I would invite you to come, make your way down here, and we'll talk about what it means to have Jesus, call Jesus as your Savior, repent of your sins. We'll walk you through that. You may have something else. I've sat in your seat before, listened to a preacher, and I couldn't tell you a thing he said. But God had worked on me, so when the invitation came, I came and prayed for whatever it was that God was dealing with me. And I invite you to do the same. You know, this isn't about how many people, I, there's not a checklist up there. God says, okay, I got so many people for invitation thing. But what I don't want us to do is walk out of here with God speaking to us and not for us to respond. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, I pray that you would move us, Lord, in a way to put our trust and our faith in you. Father, we did not do battle according to our knowledge, according to our power. But Father, we would, we would come to you. Seek out your divine power to intercede in our lives. Father, to make a change that we cannot make. Father, to change others and to turn others to follow you. Father, pray that this day 
we might have that humility to stand before you and say, Lord, I've been doing it on my own. I want to do it right. And today I want to make that change. Father, just pray if there's someone lost that today might be the day that they come to know you. In Jesus' name. In times of waiting, times in need. When I know loss, when I am weak, I know His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. And when I reach the final day, He will not leave me in the grave. But I will rise, He will call me home. Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid, and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Lord is our salvation. Lord is our salvation. In prayer for a moment, and Adam's going to keep playing. The invitation is still open if you need to do something, if you need to pray here, if you need to pray where you're at. But let's pray together. Father, as we sing, who is like the Lord my God? Father, I don't know. I don't know how well we understand that. We sing it. Father, I pray that we would live it. Father, that we would live out our lives because you are our salvation. Father, use us, Lord. Think about the hundred that's behind me. And think about this church and the people that have been part of this church. Father, help us to keep that legacy. Father, that we would share you with others around us, Lord. Father, we would carry the gospel outside of these walls. 
so that those that need to hear the message might hear that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing that chorus again. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is our salvation. Seat for a minute. Online, we're going to give you this as we walk out of here. It's to have you read for this week, 2 Samuel 5 and 6, Jeremiah 3 and 4, Romans 7 and 8, and you're going to finish up the book of Mark. So thank you for joining us.